SCP-7243 Existential Abatement Part 2 One thing that's been more and more of a recent trend in SCP articles is the ever-growing problem of more and more anomalies within the SCP universe. Plenty of documents point to an in-universe increase in the rate of new anomalies popping up, and that means more work for the Foundation to handle. One part of that work is anomalous waste, with the volume of it ever increasing, to the point that in SCP-7243 it's becoming too much for the Foundation to handle conventionally. Enter Dougal Deering, who along with his dead brother's wife and a handful of other key personnel managed to make a marvelous machine capable of erasing waste before it can even exist in the first place. What seemed like initially a miracle cure to their waste problem eventually became a disaster as it failed to function properly, causing a massive buildup of waste worldwide before catastrophically failing and being shut down. While the engine suddenly no longer being functional is enough of a problem for the Foundation, it's really just the start of their issues, as time doesn't always play nice. We pick up where we left off with three more documents, all related to a Nexus, which is an anomalous area or zone that supports a community of some sort. The first two documents discuss Nexus 7243 and are provisional documents, which have experienced significant corruption. Errors have removed information about the population and assigned facilities of this Nexus, and a bunch of other info has been crossed out such as Nexus 7243 being a hypothesized region of physical space. It states that Nexus 7243 is a designation which was created to facilitate communication, but its intended usage is rendered impossible. This intended usage is inhibited by an effect, and although they don't state what the effect is, they rule out a number of possibilities. This includes lesser or greater anti-memetic effects, cognito and narrativo hazards, miscellaneous chronological shifts, extra noospherism, and ontokinesis. It also notes that due to the recent influx of highly deviant artificial intelligences, the role of digital subterfuge in the effect cannot be ruled out. If there isn't any though, then the Nexus's intended usage is likely being inhibited at a fundamental informational level, possibly a macroscopic quantum phenomenon. This phenomenon also propagates to any term whose intended function is uniquely and practically similar to that of Nexus 7243. The following section would contain the origin for the Nexus, but the author of the document, Dr. Forkley, puts in a note that this is either above or below his pay grade, and wishes good luck at figuring out which it is. The second version of the provisional file for the Nexus is slightly clearer, and is written by Deering. He states that he's been with the Foundation long enough to recognize when he's being only begrudgingly consulted, and that's what's happening here. Despite the fact that he's the world's premier expert on this subject, and his first-hand knowledge regarding the disaster which rendered it supposedly indescribable, and despite his persistent entreaties to be looped into the research and containment process, 
he has been stonewalled at every turn, until the utmost end of alternative resources. He once stood at the head of a scientific project second in importance to none on Earth, as they faced an anomalous waste crisis of unprecedented and ever-escalating scale. He then proceeds to give his precise and 100% accurate explanation of how that project worked, and what, through no fault of his own, went wrong with it. Unfortunately, most of his description is not available to read, having been blocked out for some reason. All we're left with are a few words and phrases, such as there being multiple satellite facilities, something about his aspiration and something being erased, and a subsequent crisis. He finishes his description by stating that unlike his colleagues, he does not shirk his responsibilities, and although it doesn't matter if anyone else can parse this file, it's the correct version of it. In a note from Dr. Blank of the Records and Information Security Administration, he tells Deering that while they appreciate his submission, they are not a recreational library, so the accuracy of their archives is an instrumental goal. From a pragmatic perspective, the document he has created is far from correct, and really fails to communicate much of anything. Based on the evidence, it appears that he has suffered multiple cases of intense emotional trauma in relation to this document's supposed content, and as no AI conscripts are available for counseling services, it's recommended that he seeks the support of his peers. In other words, not only can we not see the contents of Deering's description of the event, neither can anyone else, and making Deering look like a bit of a raving lunatic. This certainly calls to mind the incident with his brother dying, where no one else could perceive the entity that he claimed was there. Finally, we're given the real file for the Nexus, designated NXOO, with the Nexus class of Entire. This is soon explained, as Nexus 00 designates all of observable consensus reality. This includes any other extra-universal space which is tethered to, or interfaces with, reality in a coherent fashion, and any region which can successfully be referenced within consensus reality is itself an extension of consensus reality, and therefore comprises the Nexus. Obviously, it isn't a single continuous physical surface, and incorporates various physically disconnected locales which are at least informationally adjacent to consensus reality. This includes embedded pocket universes, regions of non-existence, areas with extreme anti-memetic influence, a local breakdown of conventional physics, or hazardous nomenclative influence, such as the SCP-4000 forest. There is, however, evidence that there are points and or boundaries of informational discontinuity which are not included in the Nexus. In other words, there are spaces or points that cannot be informationally referenced, or to put it plainly, they can't be described in any way. These spots might exist physically in our universe, but due to this trait, they are not included in the Nexus. A hypothetical region existing outside of the Nexus would be impossible to reference, even in a statement which attempts to explain the impossibility of it being referenced. An extreme degree of vagueness, implication, and definition in the negative is required to express discrepancies between physical and informational realities, 
as any truth statement regarding the physical nature of such a discrepancy is incompatible with the informational makeup of the universe. Functionally, Nexus 00 is an inverse of the Nexus 7243 designation, meaning that since they cannot actually refer to Nexus 7243 as existing, they have to refer to Nexus 00, which is pretty much everything in existence other than Nexus 7243. It's a lot to wrap your head around for sure, but let's keep going. Both before and during the efforts to resolve the global fallout of the Lotus incident, which involved essentially the loss of all AI constructs across the world, there was a staggering increase in the production of esoteric waste substances at all containment areas and sites. Apparently, coincidentally though, the logistics branch noted an inexplicable surplus of infrastructure for esoteric substance collection and distribution, equating to a hundredfold increase in their esoteric waste processing systems. Logistics attempted to construct the emergency duplicate systems necessary to handle all the excess waste, but it became gradually clear that all of the schematics, blueprints, and methodological descriptions of the waste processing systems had become subject to an effect, assumed to be a byproduct of the aforementioned incident. The effect is implied to be connected to 7243, meaning that it can no longer be described or referenced directly in any way. As these systems could not be reverse engineered, the duplicate systems could not be constructed, nor could any similar systems be designed, as an effect pervaded all attempts. The Foundation's understanding of esoteric waste was found to be strikingly underdeveloped, and all relevant pre-existing technologies had been rendered incomprehensible. Their analytical and communicative struggles were also exacerbated by constant interference from rogue AIs, prohibiting any combined effort to properly contend with redundant anomalous substances. In the wake of the ongoing Lotus Crisis, a critical buildup of these substances could not be afforded, and so the logistics branch, despite having an incomplete understanding of its former waste disposal solutions, decided to re-engage its global supply network and temporarily resume the delivery of esoteric substances to a discontinuity in Nexus 00, or in other words, SCP-7243. Despite the reactivation of Lotus a few months later, an effect persisted, and was also encountered in attempting to conceptualize, describe, and measure the nature of the discontinuity prompting the creation of both Outpost 7243 and this file. After consultation with Dr. Deering, who had spent much of his retirement independently investigating the properties and detoxification of esoteric waste substances, he and a selection of Area 12's research staff were organized into the Department of Esoteric Reduction and tasked with the indefinite maintenance of Outpost 7243. To break all that down, the incident with 7243 occurred shortly before the planned deactivation of Lotus, which was being shut down because it was containing every AI in the world on the basis of them all becoming deviant, and the Foundation relies a lot on AI. We still haven't gotten to the cause of the whole incident, but it seems that in the aftermath, the nature of 7243 has become completely disconnected 
from consensus reality, preventing anyone from describing it, as well as seemingly erasing its existence from the Foundation's memory, both digitally and personally. Since the engine is no longer functioning, at least as it used to, all of the anomalous entities that it was previously working to prevent their waste production are now fully producing anomalous waste. The Foundation, having lost all memory of the engine, are now suddenly saddled with an enormous waste problem that seemingly came out of the blue, but they also have all of this logistical infrastructure for handling waste. That infrastructure had to be in place for the engine to function properly, but much like the waste, to the current Foundation this also came out of the blue. What's more, they're not really sure how it all works, as it's all based on tech that they're no longer aware of, and it seems that they have suffered a drastic setback in their ability to handle waste management. This effect, which took 7243 out of consensus reality, not only screwed them once when it occurred, but is now continuing to screw them over in perpetuity, as it's an informational black hole. Deering was then consulted, not because anyone knows about his history with 7243, but because he's spending his retirement investigating esoteric waste, so he's seen as an expert on the field. Based on the last provisional document though, Deering remembers everything that occurred, and tried to tell everyone about it, but since no one else can even see that information, he's seen as just a bit crazy. During the incident with SCP-6488 and Lotus, the Foundation instituted Project Sargasso, which involved essentially turning normal humans into AI agents to prevent them from being imprisoned by Lotus. It seems though that not even these AI agents can perceive anything to do with 7243 or information related to it. So instead, Deering just recommends that they set up containment facilities around any boundaries outside of Nexus 00, which is pretty much just near 7243, and they continue to try and handle the waste as they can by tossing it outside of consensus reality, meaning tossing it into 7243. When Lotus was finally neutralized a few years later, it still didn't allow 7243 to be referenced, despite this situation seeming to stem from Lotus in the first place. Once it was neutralized though, placeholder McDoctorate reappeared in consensus reality, but he's unable to provide any context pertaining to his correspondence with Reinders during the Lotus incident, with both of them agreeing that Interference and impersonation by rogue AI was responsible for any logical discrepancies. We're then given three more nondescript images of what appeared to be the interior of a facility, followed by another note from Deering. In it, he says that he doesn't care what anyone else thinks, as nobody has lived with this subject longer than he has, not even Reinders. Maybe he didn't invent the science or get a seven decade crash course on the workings of the universe, but he's the first person to attempt a real and lasting solution to this problem. Everyone before him was just laying track, and that doesn't take much imagination. Well, he's been imagining what the terminal looks like for 30 years. Maybe that's why he's the only one who still remembers. Not the O5s with their nestics, not the anti-memetics division, not even the deep wells. It's only him. 
because there's nothing to him except this problem, and you can't separate them and have anything left over. Or maybe he's just being punished again, because in this world, that's reason enough. He doesn't care though, as he can handle it. He can handle all these small-minded idiots treating him like a fool, as he's been ignored before. And while they're passing him by on their way from nowhere to nothing, he'll be working towards the goal, just like always. He's pouring every waking moment into the black hole that swallowed everything he loves. He then writes what he hears rattling around down there, but it's not visible in the document. He writes that something still exists, and he's going to get someone out of there. We're then provided another notice from the Oracle Collective, who is not affected by the effect blocking information about 7243, which informs us that not only was SCP-7243 removed from consensus reality in this timeline, but actually all of Site-43 in the surrounding area was. Since Site-43 was the headquarters for the Foundation's Acromatic Waste Department, it makes sense why they would have lost so much information about how to handle the waste. The note also says that the Oracle Collective has additional documentation about Deering's activities during the last seven years, primarily with him trying and failing to make contact and restore access to Site-43, and those documents are available upon request. Document corruption, meaning the blockage of information about Site-43, ends at this point due to the dramatic reality restructuring event which we're about to get to. Scenario EE-001 was a recurring catastrophic containment failure that was eventually contained through an amelioration of its effects. In 2043, on September 8th, around seven years after the initial incident, the following events occurred at Site-43. A large container of esoteric waste is delivered to Outpost 7243 by a drone, which is then offloaded and pumped through a specialized culvert into the region of non-existence. As the waste passes outside of consensus reality, however, the outpost records a 3.8 magnitude earthquake, apparently originating outside of consensus reality. News of this seismic event is communicated to Deering, but no immediate response is ordered. Parachronometers buried beneath the outpost begin to detect a gradual increase in local chronological stability, which is incongruent with any previous spikes in ambient readings. Maintenance personnel then alert supervisors to the presence of new reality beyond the defined threshold of Nexus 00, featuring a landscape composed of grasses and clay soils. News of this is communicated to Deering, but again no immediate response is ordered. Deering, however, privately contacts Dr. Reinders, informing her of the ongoing events, and expressing a level of shock and enthusiasm. Reinders, however, simply terminates contact. Personnel continue to report unusual activity near the boundaries, as Reinders arrives at the outpost in an off-road Foundation escort vehicle, and produces emergency level 6 credentials. She proceeds to access Outpost 7243's primary control center, triggering the facility-wide alarm system. The outpost is evacuated, with critical personnel evacuated by helicopter. 
reality continues to materialize past the threshold, revealing the presence of an enormous research and containment site. A joint detachment of Applied Force Department and Parachronology Division units soon arrive at the outpost, as a sudden 8.5 magnitude earthquake levels the outpost. The earthquake impacts population centers to varying degrees of intensity throughout North America, and deployed units are presumed KIA. In spite of the preceding earthquake, which appears to have directly originated from beneath the research and containment site, the site remains fully structurally intact, but grows increasingly optically distorted, eventually to the point of cognitohazardous abstraction, greatly hindering observation. A tsunami then forms in Lake Huron, and the O5 Council authorizes an experimental aerial containment operation over the affected area. A formation of silent hypersonic craft soon fly over the coast of Lake Huron, dropping an Orichalcos-powered matter suspension bomb on the research and containment site below. The device activates, disrupting the troposphere across Ipperwash Provincial Park and releasing an enormous burst of charged, thomic energy, which quickly settles into an iridescent dome measuring 4 kilometers in diameter. A colossal tsunami wave rushes inland out of Lake Huron, but is repelled backward into the lake by an unknown force. A miasma of indigo begins to emanate from within the dome, apparently contained inside of it. All readings change to indicate an imminent esoteric waste explosion of unprecedented scale, and shortly after, Site-43 is restored, followed by Site-43 being destroyed. Obviously there's plenty of time screwery going on still, but we're provided a summary of the event to explain some things. EE-001 was a Digamma-class paradoxism scenario, primarily featuring an extreme, localized, metastable Copenhagen decoherence event. This type of event involves the overlap of many different possible chronologies, which interact with a multitude of paradoxes, retrocausal quanta generated by said paradoxes, acroamatic quanta dispensed into Site-43, and other miscellaneous factors, to prompt a zero-sum, localized event collapse. That's a lot of technobabble, but simply it's just a bunch of possible timelines and paradoxes stacked on top of one another in a localized area, made worse by all the waste erasure that 7243 was doing. From the baseline perspective, the entire event took place over a period of 7 years and 4 months, during which time Site-43 was near fully detached and disassociated from consensus reality. Data recovered after the event was over suggests that Site-43 experienced a period of precisely six years during that time. The event was induced by an attack on 7243's systems by a faction of deviant artificial intelligences that were released following Lotus's deactivation. 7243 detected the attack and recognized it as an alpha priority, resorting to its default emergency behavior which is to seek out the individuals on whom it is causally dependent, such as Deering, Amelia, and Reinders, and reinforce its chronology using their personal histories as guideposts. 
basically to counter whatever the AIs were doing to its systems, it was going to draw out the statistically true version of itself from the past actions, memories, and experiences of the key personnel, projecting this version of reality over its present existence, which it understood to be compromised by outside forces. Had enough of the key personnel actually been present at the time, and had local instability not resulted in the rapid overlap of over 100 failed anchoring attempts, the engine would have succeeded in its task. In other words, the Deviant AIs had messed with the engine, resulting in all of those weird effects during the incident, such as the local time rushing forward a year, which caused the engine to run its automatic checks 122 times, messing with its ability to find the statistical true version of itself. Those weird effects also resulted in all of the key personnel being either dead, incapacitated, or missing, so the engine failed to fix itself. Its systems therefore attempted to construct a version of events wherein none of the key personnel were involved in its creation, or even in the history of Site-43. This resulted in the engine summing numerous contradictory facts and projecting them as objective truths to be realized simultaneously. Because of this, Site-43 and surrounding areas rapidly fell out of sync with the remainder of the universe, and disassociated to an estimated 98% completeness. It's theorized that this effect was so all-encompassing that it could not be corrected by a naturally occurring CK or ZK class event, which may have been triggered multiple times during the process. The engine, now isolated with the rest of the area in an uncompassable extra-ontological location and its functions expedited by surviving on-site personnel, modeled an uncountable number of irregular chronological paths, systematically eliminating any options which contradicted its core directives. It was able to identify a preferable chronology within a distorted period equivalent to roughly seven years. The force of the recoherence of the surrounding area, which is actually a nexus in its own right, Nexus 94, was sufficient enough to overpower the influence of any remaining temporal paradoxes. Following a sharp increase in the appearance of new matter, the entire nexus was reconstituted in the span of a single day. In the wake of Site-43's original decoherence, the Department of Esoteric Reduction was established to compensate for the loss of the Acromatic Abatement section, its methods, and its institutional knowledge. Esoteric Reduction constructed the outpost at the boundary to Site-43 as a headquarters for the monitoring of the dissociated zone, as well as a logistics hub managing the transport of esoteric effluence to Nexus 94. Though the Nexus didn't actually conventionally exist during this period, waste could still be moved into it via a decommissioned pipeline, believed to have once carried platonic material to Acroamatic Abatement Facility AAF-W. For reasons which remain obscure, this pipeline had not fully dissociated. For almost the entirety of the span of the decoherence, Nexus 94 had been injected with vast quantities of esoteric waste from across the globe, and lacking a feasible alternative or the experience necessary to formulate one, esoteric reduction was allowed to proceed with this arrangement indefinitely. 
Data recovered afterwards suggests that the majority of this waste was successfully ameliorated by surviving personnel within the discontinuity. Upon the incident of Site-43's return to consensus reality, the remaining waste was absorbed into the environment at rapid speed, mixing and fusing with the remaining volatile achromatic and retrocausal quanta within the site to concoct a disastrous chain reaction. A protective energy shield was then deployed over the area, containing the deleterious effects of the impending reaction, but doing nothing to preserve its contents. Minutes after the shield was deployed, a cataclysmic explosion of esoteric waste and condensed antichronons atomized what remained of Site-43, with the energy shield now overhanging a vast, cavernous pit. Cleanup operations discovered a single member of Site personnel unconscious, but alive, at the perimeter of Nexus 94. To summarize the summary then, the engine, left with no other recourse, created a local timeline for Site-43, in which none of the key personnel involved in its creation were involved in its creation, or with Site-43 at all. This created quite a paradoxical situation, resulting in the area dropping out of consensus reality for years. During that time, Practically no one except Deering and presumably Reinders could remember anything about Site-43, the engine, or much about esoteric waste in general, but thanks to Deering's involvement, they continued to dump all of this excess waste into the void, which took care of it. What was actually happening was that the personnel stuck on the other side were still using the engine to get rid of all the waste but the engine couldn't properly dispose of it the way it used to, thanks to the decoherence. Eventually, the engine was able to identify a preferable timeline after seven years, reconnecting the area to consensus reality, but upon doing so, all of that buildup of non-existent waste collided with the timeline, creating a disastrous chain reaction that probably would have really gotten out of hand. The Foundation acted quickly though, dropping a bomb that created a shield of energy around the area, containing the reaction and just resulting in the area becoming a massive, cavernous pit. They did manage to find one person alive in the area though. We're then provided a transcript of the video footage recovered from the personal uniform camera of Amelia Tarosian Deering on September 8th, 2043. Amelia is standing in the operations control room of Acromatic Facility AAF-X, and has activated the engine's referent seeking mechanism for the 486th time. The program runs, and spatial flexures are visible through the observation glass as a klaxon sounds. The chronological stability indicator then flashes green and the floor beneath Amelia disappears for 10 frames of footage, during which the chasms below are visible and she falls towards the center of the earth. She experiences this as a sudden jolt, and staggers back, with the soles of her boots now detached and fused with the reformed floor. She watches as the cavern in which AAF-X is situated continues to contract and expand, the machinery within shrinking and enlarging in opposite rhythm, 
there's a sound of thunder causing her to cover her ears, and the bulkhead door behind her shatters like glass. The engine's visible components begin to redshift, and the floor and walls shake violently as a fissure appears in the cavern ceiling beneath the foundations of acroamatic abatement facility AAF-D, glowing amber. Amelia's diagnostics reveal that low-priority spectral material in a long-term holding cycle within the older facility has breached containment, becoming visible as a steady downpour of amber fluid through the crack. The fluid coruscates, bends, and approaches the control room with apparent intent, and Amelia leaps through the shattered door as the fluid snakes through the observation glass, pursuing her. She flees through the gradually reformulating ruins of AAF-X, and a ruptured paraspectral grounding conduit arcs electricity into her jacket, setting it ablaze with blue fire. She tears it off without pausing. There is a flash of amber, and she throws herself violently through a door into a side passage as the spectral limb behind her misses by millimeters. The floor disappears again, but this time does not immediately reformulate, and Amelia falls into the next sublevel, landing in a pool of red blood corpuscles being churned by a series of adamantine whisks. The limb reaches down towards her as she scrambles to the lip of the pool, and she dives beneath the surface to avoid it. The ceiling above her then reformulates, severing the fluid limb as the leading end disintegrates into a shower of amber sparks, which hiss and sparkle as they strike the blood. Amelia surfaces and pulls herself to safety, staggering to her feet and continuing to flee as the walls begin to glow white-hot. A clover leaf of seven identical passages meet at an open elevator shaft, and Amelia is seen approaching it from each passage, with each iteration moving at a different rate of speed, displaying injuries consistent with different trauma. Running blind, each iteration apparently fails to notice the others, with the one filming reaching the elevator first. She leaps into it and activates the controls, as the remaining instances are caught by the attacking limb, which gathers them up as one. They melt into ectoplasm as the elevator rises into the ceiling, and visual contact is again lost. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This sublevel of AAF-X is seen shimmering red, and an automated emergency message begins to play with Amelia's voice. It says that chronological reinforcement is 50% complete, with the irrealism factor at 7, ontocaustic, meaning that there's a level of divergence between internal and external conceptual spaces which cannot be reconciled without the annihilation of all intervening matter. The message advises evacuation, where possible, and repeats itself seven more times, 
adding one more voice each time, consisting of the seven key personnel. Amelia emerges into the cavern proper, moving quickly over a series of catwalks which thread between towering factory stacks and storage tanks. Each is now translucent and filled with bubbling liquids in a variety of different colors. Electrical explosions occur in the distance, across the pit at the core of the engine, and approaching Amelia, with the resultant sounds appearing to occur in reverse. The roof of the cavern begins to shimmer, and the roots of the forest above are clearly visible along with the external membrane of Site-43, the topside elevators, and the fractally warped remains of the surface refinery facilities. The assailant is visible above, winding through windows and doors, over tracks and gantries, searching for its prey. Amelia gasps in pain, severely winded, as she reaches the tunnel to the disposal pit, and the assailant snaps to attention, beginning to snake towards her, partially obscured by piping and machinery. She clambers onto an empty waste cart and sets it moving in reverse, as the tracks at the edge of the pit begin to deform like rubber, with the deformation spreading as the explosions grow in intensity and volume. The cart exits Site-43 and enters a system of circuitous tunnels, rapidly outpacing the assailant. A persistent prismatic glow advancing from the cavern outpaces it as well, and it disappears. The cart automatically ascends a series of switchbacks, shaking violently as the tracks elasticize and vulcanize, and Amelia begins to weep. The waste cart eventually emerges at Depot 43 on the eastern fringe of Nexus 94, and she leaps off as it passes through the terminal station, striking the platform and disintegrating. The visible light here is a pale gray, and all moving objects are moving sluggishly, with lingering motion trails. She pulls herself hand over hand over the platform and out of the station, then staggers at a jog towards the distant fence. There is a sudden distortion on the video feed, and the gray illumination is replaced by moonlight as Amelia turns to look back while passing through the unmanned security checkpoint. Her immediate surroundings are color-tinted correctly, but the interior of the as-yet dissociated space remains grayscale. A bubble of color is expanding from Site-43, the colors inverted from the original dissociative event, and as she watches, a ball of light originating from the sky cuts through the expanding starburst and coats the nexus with a bubble of reflective plasma. Before the coverage is complete, the total obliteration of Site-43 is visible, and a single large amber tentacle thrashes in apparent distress and or frustration as it coils around the lone surviving stack. The facility's explosion temporarily overwhelms the thaumic shield, casting luminous tendrils into the sky and lake which disappear in points of brilliant white. Amelia then collapses, blocking the camera view. In another undated note, someone, possibly not Deering, writes that waste is what you've done with your life, with our lives, and potentially with every human life on Earth, and every Earth, and all for pride, selfishness, and misguided affection. The cost of that waste is incalculable, 
and how would one even begin to abate a waste like that? Miraculously, though, Amelia managed to survive the entire ordeal, as well as the explosion that obliterated Site-43, so we're given a transcript of the first meeting between Deering and her in the aftermath. He finds her in a hospital bed, with no sign of any physical injury visible on her person. She smiles at him as he approaches, and he asks how she's feeling, remarking that it's a stupid question, and says he can't imagine what she's been through. She replies that neither can she, as she can only picture some of it, and she says that he's wondering why she's not out of her mind. The thought crossed his mind, but he had the tact to stop it before it reached his mouth. She replies that he must have been busy while she was gone, but Deering doesn't respond, so she says that he's allowed to smile. He just asks how she did it, and how she did anything. She closes her eyes, and replies that she's not going to tell him everything, as she's still exhausted, and she might not ever tell him the whole story. We're then given a note written by Amelia afterwards, which reads, Dougal Deering saved me. In a sense. I'd already been talking to my mirror for years, staring myself in the face and asking what I should do, imagining that my reflection was actually Phil's, not because he was some wellspring of knowledge. He'd have been the first to say that he put the J in J and M. He was smart, smarter than he ever gave himself credit for, but he was no engineer. He fixed vending machines while I calibrated semioplasma correctors, handled technician schedules while I designed Orichalcos auto-defactories. Anybody could have done his jobs, but it always meant everything to me that it was him. So, every single day since he's been gone, I'd imagined I can see him in the mirror, pushing me forward. But it's only my memory of him. It's a strong memory, but it still isn't real. His ghost in my shell. For that first year trapped in the world's highest stakes escape room, I kept on imagining him, egging me on, urging me to survive. To find a way out, like Ilsa did. But I'd gone to the well too many times, and I knew how shallow it was. I knew he was gone even if I couldn't admit it. It wasn't enough to keep living for a dead man. So I let the picture shift, and focused on someone who wasn't dead. In another transcript of her camera footage, Amelia is standing within the concentration cell of Acromatic Abatement Facility AAF-D, although it's unknown how she ended up there. The walls are coated with bubbling yellow mold, and she opens the vault door, exiting into the facility proper. The facility renders in muted colors with luminous gray outlines, and she begins to walk towards the access elevator for AAF-X. She looks down, and is seen wearing an Esomat suit, the soles of which are sinking into the floor tiles, leaving visible footprints behind. She continues down the corridor, passing a series of prone human forms, with their bodies misshapen and the name tags on their uniforms blank. 
Later, she's standing at the junction of one corridor and its apparent double, converging at an angle of approximately 15 degrees so that the exterior wall of one blocks progress down the other. She reaches down to turn the valve on a tank attached to a rolling dolly at her side, and she raises a misting wand, beginning to spray a chalky substance onto the offending wall, causing it to scream. Later, she's standing still in a featureless tile corridor, shaking uncontrollably and hyperventilating, although no apparent danger is visible. She then says no, and curses at something, before proceeding down the corridor with erratic movements, as though avoiding obstacles not visible on the camera feed. Back in the conversation between Amelia and Deering, he tells her that he'll take anything she can give him. She says that it took her maybe a month to get to her office, not needing to eat or sleep or maybe even breathe. It took another month to partition off the AIs still stuck in the systems with the admin control panel on her tablet. The Scranton reality filters were only working at about 80% efficiency to start with, and she watched that number tick down every day. Eventually, they were going to fail completely, and she'd end up like everyone else, but in the meantime, it made everything not unpleasantly fuzzy, like she was always just waking up from a deep sleep. It was hard to focus on more than a couple of things at once, so she focused on the things that mattered, mostly escaping. In another note, she writes, I pictured Dougal Deering's smug smirk and dead eyes, and I blamed him for everything he deserved to be blamed for. Failing to excel when we needed excellence the most. Killing my husband. Digging himself a pity pit and hiding in it. Begging me to forgive him. Making me think I might someday have a reason to do it. And then leaving us worse off than we'd been before it started. I used my hatred of him as a lodestar. My most powerful unfailing, infinitely renewable reality anchor. Every inch I clawed back from oblivion was getting me closer to exposing him as a fraud to the council. Every grisly mess that popped back into existence in front of me, every body bifurcated by a wall, every screaming pile of gristle with its skin abstracted and its pain receptors shining in my flashlight beam was another mistake I could spit in his face if only I held on a little longer. When I started powering up the machinery again and setting it to a task it was never designed to perform and did the work of a hundred techs at once and I ached and sweated and froze and the hole in my stomach where the need to eat and drink and defecate was gone, I told myself I was proving once and for all that us lowly technicians actually putting in the elbow grease could do things that a feet fop had always been incapable of. In more camera footage, Amelia is examining a makeshift thaumotitration meter consisting of a work tablet attached to the electricals on an intensely vibrating pipe. She asks herself where something is coming from, double-checking her readings and shaking her head, before sighing and beginning to perform manual calculations on her tablet. Later, she's crouching over a console in the AAF-X atrium, remote-controlling a maintenance drone. 
The drone is LiDAR mapping the interior of the facility, which is expanded by an order of magnitude that the surrounding bedrock should not have been capable of containing or supporting. A sudden fluorescence of light strikes the drone, and it is explosively duplicated 15 times in quick succession. The signal is then lost, attenuated between too many devices at once, so Amelia lies down on an inflatable mattress and stares at the ceiling until the camera automatically deactivates. Sometime later, she's tapping a tablet displaying Reclamation Schedule 2036 to 2037. Each item is marked complete in green, with the date visible as September 6th. Her reflection is caught in the screen, and she's seen to be smiling. Later still, she's standing in the Operations Control Center for Acroomatic Abatement Facility AAF-X, looking out on the central pit. A stream of heterogeneous effluence is pouring into the pit from above. She clicks her tongue in disapproval as she interacts with the engine's input console, generating a list of potential anchor targets for chronological reinforcement as sorted by declining probability. The highest rated anchor is herself, so she confirms the selection. The engine secures the referent anchor, and the camera view flickers and distorts as a red light passes over her as it attempts to reconcile its chronology. Every flat plane in AAF-X begins to pulsate as though mapped to an invisible spheroid located in the central pit. An emergency klaxon sounds, and Amelia runs diagnostics, with the date and time visible as September 8th, 6.21pm. The pulsation and klaxon cease as error messages flood the console. The chronological stability indicator flashes red, and a glowing amber fissure appears in the cavern ceiling. The engine begins its shutdown procedure, as Deering, Reinders, and an additional Amelia appear in the control room. They are reenacting the events of the original derealization event, as Amelia flees. In the present, Deering says that he's still baffled as to what she was able to accomplish, as the rubber band effect would have lasted 10 years or longer without her working away in there. They couldn't have waited that long, as they needed her back, and here she is. He asks how she kept perspective, working towards that goal without any foreknowledge that she had a chance. She says that that's always been the job, and they don't take snow days causing Deering to laugh. She looks away, and he apologizes, to which she says that she's never heard him laugh like that before, like Phil. In another note, she writes that her imaginary Phil used to tell her that she was right or wrong based on what she thought he'd think. She knew him like a glove, and it was a near-perfect simulation with the gulf between it and reality being the first permanent pit in her stomach. Still, it was a comfort, while her apparition of Dougal would always just say that she was right and he was sorry, with him always being so damn sorry. In more camera footage, Amelia is standing within the concentration cell of AAF-D, with the walls coated with bubbling yellow mold. She opens the vault door, 
showing the facility in muted colors with luminous gray outlines, and she screams. Footage shows her reviewing the reclamation schedule 2036 through 2037, marking each complete item as incomplete. She changes the title to reclamation schedule 2037 through question mark question mark question mark and begins to weep. Other footage shows her editing an electronic map of AAF-X on her tablet, as the corridor in front of her deforms to match each new configuration, either silently or with sufficient volume to peak the audio recording. Later, she's standing in the operations control center for AAF-X, with the emergency klaxon sounding as the engine attempts to reconcile its chronology using Dr. Udo Okori as its referent. An applied occultism section uniform is visible in a translucent hazardous materials container in the corner of the room, visibly respirating. Spatial deformation is in progress, and after 10 minutes, it ceases along with the klaxon simultaneously. The chronological stability indicator flashes red, and the recorded voice of Amelia states that there's been a reconciliation failure, with the anchor stability insufficient. She selects the next listed anchor, Dr. William Weddle, and turns to face an opaque blue drum featuring multiple freshly applied biohazard stickers. She begins reassembling her Esomat suit. Later still, the console remains visible, with 17 potential referent anchors having been unsuccessfully targeted for chronology reinforcement. The date and time is September 8th, 6.15, and Amelia sighs, leaving the room in the direction of the AAF-D elevator. We're given a few more images of a nondescript facility, and back in the present, Deering says to her that she must hate seeing his face after all this. She responds that it's Phil's face as well, as Deering has a beard and no glasses, but it's still his, and she can't. She says that she's spent, to which he tells her that she'll feel differently when she's rested. She doesn't think so, however, and says that she thinks she sees things in the proper perspective now. There's no use blaming him for being an idiot as in his idiot way, he's trying to help. In another note, she writes that she wanted to stay furious at him, and thought that she needed the inspiration. She wrote him a hailstorm of angry letters, perfecting the art of tearing him to bloody shreds, and daydreamed about placing the bundle in his hand and forcing him to read them until he was dealt with for good. But day by day, gradually, she lost her fire, and she couldn't keep it up while alone in this lunacy. She refused to give him his holy grail of forgiveness, but she did try to forget him. She focused on the work to find the solution, not in anyone's memory and not out of spite, but because it was her job and she could do it. It needed doing, and she was alive. In more footage, she's seen walking into a featureless void, reciting the Fibonacci sequence and turning 90 degrees after each odd number. The ambient darkness lightens noticeably each time she does this. Later, she's laughing 
with the camera showing the emergency terminal for AAF-D's anachronic sump flush mechanism. She has apparently flushed the sump's contents into AAF-X, and is observing the resultant interactions to plot a path to the AAF-X operations control center. Still later, the camera turns on in pitch blackness, and she says that it's 2041, and she got through 52 potential anchors this time, all of them dragging. She's hitting the shoals in about 20 minutes, and might go down with the ship this time, asking if there's any objections. The camera remains active for 19 minutes before red emergency lighting begins, illuminating the ceiling of the AAF-X operations control room. She sits up, stands up, picks up her tablet, and heads for the door. In the present, she tells Deering that he's trying to fix his old mistakes, but he keeps making new ones in the process, and that needs to stop. Now. As he tries to interject that he doesn't think, she cuts him off, saying that he thinks too much actually, but never about the right things. He thinks about how unfair it is, about how it's not his fault, but he never examines his motivations. His job is to resolve the abatement crisis, but he's only been pretending to do that. The world's toilets are overflowing, and here he is plunging down his black clog of guilt on their borrowed time. She tells him that this is what he deserves to hear, as he keeps messing up, and every time he does he waits for someone to tell him it's okay, but it's not. It isn't okay that he's wasting their final opportunities in favor of feeling sorry for himself, and that's over as of this moment. If he needs Phil to forgive him, he can't, because he's dead. If he needs her to do it, then he's worn her down and she's sick of it, so she forgives him. Now she tells him to take responsibility and do his job. In another note, she writes that when her resolve slipped, she promised herself that she'd track down that supercilious twit and let him have it with both barrels as a victory treat. But every time she clawed out her new temporary haven after that damnable annual reset, she imagined what it would be like to dig herself out entirely and meet him digging inward from the other side, as she knew he would be, and she couldn't find her nerve. Maybe she'd long since lost it, but he'd be trying for the first time, and also for the first time she found that that wasn't entirely without meaning. She simply hasn't got the energy to hate anymore, as hating him, and her prison, and this ridiculous unending nightmare has burned through everything else she ever had. It's just him and her now, and what he said in a puff of selfish navel-gazing is finally true, that they understand each other, and both want this to be over. In some more footage, Amelia is standing in the operations control center for AAF-X, scrolling through the list of potential reference to the lowest probability options. She locates the entry for the Dommel signature of the materials handling disaster which killed Deputy Janitorial and Maintenance Chief Philip Deering in 2028, rated at 0.0082 probability, and selects it. 
The date and time is listed as September 8th, 2042, which is actually 2043 thanks to the temporal divergence. And she says, happy anniversary, as she activates the sequence. The chronological stability indicator flashes green. In the present, Deering tells her that he can't do this himself, and he needs her help, so she can't give up. She replies that she's only giving up what's already wasted, and as soon as she's back on her feet, she'll be back in the trenches. They're going to do it right this time, a proper, complete solution, with no miracle cures. Deering agrees, saying that this time will be different, to which she says that this time is the last time, as she can't fight him again. He's all that she has left of him, and she doesn't want to hate either of them anymore. Analysis of the volume of energy released during the rebound event showed that while it was incredibly immense, it didn't nearly match the volume of energy expected of such an expulsion. Current data suggests that the most likely vector through which the excess energy may have escaped resides in the threshold between consensus reality and the decoherent space Nexus 94 was transposed to meaning that it would have been released into extra-dimensional, possibly extra-universal space. If this is true, models suggest that the high velocity of the esoteric waste containing this energy would relieve the foundation of its harmful effects in their entirety, as the quanta would be propelled far from baseline reality. The following day, this hypothesis was confirmed. In other words, much of that anomalous, time-bending energy wasn't released in that big explosion, but was instead sent into other dimensions or universes. I'm sure that won't have any consequences. So Amelia managed to escape the temporal limbo that she and she alone was kept in thanks to finally fixing the engine and releasing all of the pent-up energy from the waste processing. She finally managed to do this after running through every possible person and event that could be used as a reference for the engine to stabilize itself temporally, by anchoring it to the least likely contender, the incident which killed Phil. This is the one that finally clicked, suggesting that the engine couldn't exist without this event occurring. Why she and she alone was stuck in there isn't exactly clear although she suggests that reindeers also escaped. But now that she's out, they still have a big waste management problem to solve now that the engine's gone. That's not including the potential problems stemming from that energy getting sent into other universes. She tells Deering that there will be no more miracle cures, and they're going to fix this once and for all, but from the sounds of it, they're going to need a miracle cure more than ever to sort all this out. We'll find out how things all come together in the third and final part, but I think it's clear that you don't mess with time without time punching back.